0: A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness.
1: The Stillness of His Moment Deciding by Tom Shastri The new kid in the fourth year was S.A.S. He'd killed three I.R.A. in a Belfast pub. Although untrue, this was his truth, who he felt he was. A man, tooled up, with me trapped in my moment of seeing him with the gun and him, in the stillness of his moment, deciding if I could go on living. The same question engulfed me last year, like a dropped sky. I brought him and his gun back into my thoughts, lived in that pause. The war in his head, inside the war in mine. A Little Nest of Wars
0: Tom where did this poem come from?
1: I think that's a difficult question. I can tell you what it well no I'll tell you where it came from. I think the more interesting question is 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 why I ended up writing it at the point that I did mm-hmm. um. The action of the poem is, is quite simple. Um, it's it's a true story. It's about um, a boy who was in my class. He was certainly in my year group. I can't remember if he was in my class. When I was in what we then in English schools called the fourth year, which is 14 to 15. Um, and he made an earnest attempt to persuade me that he was in fact a British Special Forces soldier, SAS, <laughs> and that he had killed several... Um, um, members of the uh, irish republican army the ira in a special operation that of course he wasn't allowed to tell anyone about except me in the fourth year at school now on the one hand this is an outrageous lie it's the kind of lie that no sane person would ever expect another human being to believe um that a 14 year old boy had done these things and on the other hand of course it's a deeply disturbing fantasy Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and you know because it does on the one hand it's it's clearly not true, but on the other hand, it does signal a certain attraction to the idea of extreme violence, which is some, which you would which you do actually have to take quite seriously if someone says something like that to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's both meaningless because it's obviously untrue, and ob- and also meaningful. And. That's that all happened. Well, I'm. I was born in 1974, so you can probably work out if anyone is very good at arithmetic will work out at what you know. You know what sort of time I would have been at uh, 14 or 15. And the thing that happens in the poem is that I'm looking back on this incident, or my speak speak on my poem. And you always change yourself and other things a little bit. I think in a poem is looking back on this incident. And it acquires a new resonance when they're in a point of crisis. And for me, I mean, this is all the stuff that isn't in the poem. Um, for me, the significance of that was that I found myself thinking about this 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 boy who I hadn't thought of before in, in in you know hadn't thought of for a quarter of a century, at a time when I was going through a really difficult period. And for mm-hmm. various reasons, I was I was quite frightened going about my daily business because of something that was happening in my life. And there was no reason why this intrusive thought about this, this 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 boy in the Britain of Margaret Thatcher, who had as many young white British children did. You know, I think it was a very militaristic time, as I remember it. It was, you know, the, you, mm. you know, the, the army was big, um, and people liked the idea of being soldiers, and they liked the idea of being. The state's instrument of violence, and this was a very common fantasy, not just of teenage boys but also of some adult men um, around that time. So it's very much about the violence of the time. Um, and I think when I was twenty-five years later, in a position where I was feeling very unsettled, I started thinking about this a lot. And it was only at that point that the pieces fell into place, and I realised something I hadn't actually consciously realised at the time, which was that I, I instinctively saw myself not as the british citizen that this boy was protecting with his imaginary violence i saw myself as much closer to the um you know you know i saw i saw myself more as his prey than mm-hmm. as his you know than as a citizen of the country that he was supposedly defending in his fantasy um and i think and, and that's that's quite a profound realization about your relationship to the violence of the state and also the your relationship to the violent to to the popular culture That lionizes the violence of the state in your country. Um, I, I don't have any Irish connections at all. Um, and, um, but, you know, um, I was one of the very few non white children in my, in, in my class at school. And I suspect that's, that has Mm -hmm. something to do with it. Again, I'd never, I wouldn't have been conscious at that time of any similarity between my own condition or between the way I was seen and the way in which the media portrayed what was happening in Ireland I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't have been capable of forming that thought at that time and I think what's what interests me in the poem and actually particularly in the context of the book I published it in which is which is a lot about my generation uh, people born around the same time and a lot about how historical events of of my time have influenced my life and my thinking um yeah what really interested me was 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 this sudden revelation of the vulnerability that I experienced in that moment and didn't consciously recognize so that's that's um that's sort of the first bit of the poem and the action of the poem um and then the other part of it is the more direct emotional side of it which is that the the poem is built around this moment where in this boy's violent fantasy he is there he is pointing a gun at at, at someone and i'm in the place of that someone Mm -hmm. and he has this moment of absolute power where he can choose he can choose what happens and i have this moment of absolute powerlessness or in a different sense, a moment of complete abdication of responsibility for my own life, because I'm not making that decision anymore. And that's, and, uh, and so it's also built around the significance of that moment, and how that connects both to a fear of violence and also to suicidal ideation. So that, that's, that, that was where, that's where I was coming from in the poem.
0: So it's a small poem, but there's a lot in it, isn't there?
1: Um, that, that's, yeah, it's, 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 ter- it's a terrible novel. Um, you know, I mean, you, you're better off <laughs> reading the poem than playing back what I've just said. I think, I think that you'll get a lot more from it. Um, and it was initially a lot longer as you would, ex- mm-hmm. and the process is cutting it back to what it needs to be.
0: Oh, that's a lovely way of putting the editing process in poetry, just cutting it back to what it needs to be. Because I think this is one of the things I love about poetry is the wonderful economy that you've got and suggestiveness in a poem like this. That's If you look at it on the website, folks, it's 12 lines, three stanzas of four lines each. And yet there's this this whole world, a little nest of wars inside the poem. Um, so just to recap what I'm getting. So there's this experience at what we call secondary school here in England. And that boast, that bullshitting, that, that lie by that boy was it was a kind of a Rorschach in ink test for the both of you. Because on the one level it reveals something about his violent fantasies, but you instinctively saw yourself not as the person being protected, as as the other, the way that, say, the IRA, the the Irish Republicans in general often portrayed as the other in the media at the time. Yes. And that was such a strong thing,
1: I think, in in Britain in the nineteen eighties, you know. Um the ira were were the, the bogeymen and women and we were supposed to be terrified of them and we were you know and, and so that was quite a strong that it's it's it feels to me thinking back to that time quite a strong thing for someone in my position to say um yeah. it's not like i'm consuming irish republican media and therefore seeing the world from a different side i mean i had no contact with anything like that so
0: yeah and then at the end of the second stanza at the end of this line, you've got the same question engulfed me last year, which, as a reader, I take that to be the question of can I go on living? And so what you're suggesting, but not revealing, is there is some something happening in the present, in the the now of the poem, that gave you that same level of existential threat, but actually it sounds like much more realistic. And this... I think technically it'll be the hippocampus in play. It starts associating back to the last time you experienced a sliver of this kind of threat before. It brings it's kind of replaying that memory and giving you the the question that it's the heart of the poem.
1: Yes, yes, that's that that's right. It's it, and it seems like such a bizarre connection, doesn't it? Because on the face of it, it's quite a trivial incident. You know, as you know, a fourteen year old boy tells an obvious lie. You know, I suspect we all laughed at him. I can't actually remember, but I suspect he he became notorious for these lies, and no one took him at all seriously. And in, and and he he made himself marginal when he was trying to make himself big. I'm sure right. I'm sure that's what happened because because it's so transparent. It's, and so, from that point of view, it's a trivial incident. And I wouldn't have been thinking about him a lot in the intervening period at all.
0: Yeah, but from my former career as a psychotherapist, it makes a lot of sense to me because, on the one hand, our imagination slash unconscious mind doesn't really know the difference between something that's imagined and something that's real. It if you've imagined something vividly enough, it can feel like it's real in in the memory. And the way the memory will work is by the emotional association. It's almost as though it's flicking back through the data banks. When did we last experience this particular kind of emotion? Oh, yes! And no matter how absurd it might seem and how laughable in retrospect, it's that memory of that kid at school. So to me, it seems that there's a, a very strong emotional truth in the poem, even though it's as you say that the link feels logically absurd
1: yes and i think there's something else in there for me anyway i mean i don't know if it's in the you never know whether you've managed to put something in the poem or whether it's just there for you but um which is that there is i think there is a sense that the speaker of the poem is in some way attracted to the idea of abdicating responsibility for his own life that if you you know but the idea that this boy is there and he's in his moment of power and he's deciding what happens is in that moment quite appealing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's a, I think there's actually three time periods in the poem because the poem is written, both parts of the poem, the part that happened in school and the part that happened in the subsequent crisis are in the past tense. So there's the, there's the now of the writing of the poem, there's the now of the adult crisis, and there's the now of the, of the boy's fantasy. So it's yes. so, so, so so you so you have um, so I don't think in the moment of writing, um, I'm saying actually that was quite appealing. But I think I am saying that in the moment that, that it that in that moment of crisis it was quite appealing. I think that that's that's in there as well that actually sometimes it, sometimes the idea that you know that you are not responsible for your own life yeah. can be you know it and it's not you know um, I don't think it's a suicidal thought, but I think it is a thought that is. It's a refusal to make the choices that are necessary in order to take full ownership of your own life because at that
0: moment, that does not seem like a thing you can do. And that's a very human impulse, isn't it? Yeah. To to just let go and not, and or, or to want to let go and not have to deal with whatever the thing is in front of us. And I think, you know, maybe it's important to underline, if, if anybody's listening to this and they're, they're they're saying, but what was it? What was the... Mm. you know what happened in the speaker's life Mm. um we're not supposed to know are we and to me that intensifies it even more because maybe if we don't know then we start to imagine things and therefore we start to emotionally associate to the speaker in the poem yeah more than if it was something very specific that oh right well that's never happened to me therefore I don't, you know, the level of association isn't as strong, and the the power of of being trapped in that moment isn't as intense.
1: Yeah, I would encourage people to imagine the worst incident in a fairly ordinary life, rather than something, you know, extravagantly newsworthy.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so the speaker of the poem is saying, the same question engulfed me last year, and it is in the past tense. So Am I right in saying that the speaker is looking back on this experience of this question and this engulfment?
1: Yes, there's an element of um um recollecting in tranquility here. There's a lot of tying up. <laughs> there's a lot of small p philosophy in this poem. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of reconcil- reconciling with with the past and that includes the past of of the previous year and this mm-hmm personal questions in this incident as well as the distant past of the boy with his SAS fantasy um and and actually it was more than a year I mean I put last year because I quite like the the relative immediacy of it but actually the gap between the second incident that was part of the inspiration for the poem and the writing of it was considerably more than a year and and yes I'm all right now and I was all right when I wrote the poem so it's you know um and I think the tone of the poem is definitely the tone of someone who's achieved a degree of mastery over an experience by finding a way to talk about it and think about
0: it that puts it in its box. Good. Good. Well that's good to that's good to know. And again, you know, you've you've talked about the speaker of the poem, because it's very easy when we read a poem that is saying I to assume that this is a straight anecdote or you know relation of a story and in the poet's life and very often even if that is the case that there is a relationship to something that happened for the poet there's there's a, a dramatizing effect of the eye in the poem
1: absolutely well this is this is editing you can write even if it is possible to write a completely honest truth onto a page, which I'm not sure it entirely is, mm-hmm. simply because you still have standpoint. You know, you're still selecting whether you're selecting con- details consciously or not. You're yep. still telling the story from a particular point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, the the art of particularly poetry, because it's so distilled and you edit so much, is that you're making choices all the time about what you're going to include and what you're going to reveal and what you're going to conceal. And those choices are based on providing something that is very concentrated I mean, how many words have we said about this poem? I don't know how many words are in the poem. I'd guess, just looking at it on the page, probably at seventy or eighty. Yeah. Um, we 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 must have said, you know, I, I imagine we're you know, and we're having th- and we're talking uh, and we're using thousands of words to describe it. And even then, you know, we're only saying a fraction of all the things that could be said. If you wanted to tell, you know, if if you yes. felt an obligation to reveal all the facts, so that process is massively selective. And in that process, you inevitably. Um, you make choices that are for, that you 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 will make choices that are for the sake of the poem, rather than for the sake of documentary truth. You know, if there is a phrase that I think makes the poem much more powerful, or much more humane, or any of the things I want to do in a poem, and it doesn't correspond with what actually happened in the, I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not going to throw my hands up in horror and go I can't do that. I'm yeah. falsifying what happened. Yeah. Um, and when you live with a poem for several months and you keep editing it and keep honing it, um, the lines. But you know, you end up. You might start out with an awful lot that's drawn from life and a little bit that's drawn from the imagination. And those proportions tend to tend to shift in favour of the imagination as time goes on. Huh?
0: Yeah, that's that's true, isn't it?
1: And sometimes it's not even the it's not even that you're reimagining the incidents. It's just that the language itself wants to do something different. Yes. So it's, and I think a restriction of, you know, witness box standards of truth in poetry would leave very little poetry standing, I think.
0: <laughs> there wouldn't be a lot left, would there?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, it depends who's in the witness box, obviously. If it's, um, you know, if, if it's certain former politicians, then then, then maybe we, we, we could exceed that standard
0: of truth. I don't know. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I love that idea that you start off Maybe with the intention to tell all the truth, as Emily Dickinson would have put it, but you end up telling it more and more slant. The more you work with it, the more you edit and revise. And and the more, as you say, that the words themselves start to give you an idea where they want to go, which may well be different to what you thought you were doing when you set out.
1: Yes, um, and it's even more complicated in a poem like this. This is a poem about a lie you know we know straight away i mean i mean i i don't want to, i don't want to speak on behalf of your listeners but i would imagine that the reader that doesn't immediately recognize that a fourteen year old boy claiming to be a special forces soldier is a liar um yeah. is an unusual is is an unusual reader so so there's no mystery about the fact yeah. that the central claim being made is is a colossal fib and that's that's interesting as well because i think there's something here i i know i'm realized I'm not quite answering the question about the about the meaningful lie, about hmm. the way, you know, the way stories are told, the way claims are made, you know, the way that the what the information we draw from the world and from the things that we say and other people say isn't just based on the assumption that they're true. Yeah, it's it's based on some it's based on something else that they're telling us.
0: Yeah, and okay, you've you've mentioned a, a few times that a lot of editing went into this, that it was it was longer than what we have on the page could you maybe just talk us through that writing process what what was the first draft like and and how did you arrive at what we have on the on the page or the screen
1: i don't remember exactly what the first draft. i know it went onto a second page um and i know given that the you know um given the um fonts and spacings i have on my computer that would make mean it would be at least 30 lines long yeah so considerably yeah. more than twice its current length maybe three times. Um, and I think it would have told more of the story Mm -hmm. as I've outlined it. Um, and I think, I mean, and that's unusual for me, actually. It's unusual. I mean, most, most of my poems will end up shorter than their first drafts, but that level of, um, you know, to lose, you know, 60 to 75% of the length of the original poem is actually quite unusual for me. Um, yeah. I might lose that much of the material, but normally I'm filling other things in. I'm seeing opportunities to fill that space with something. And this one, I really wanted to get the focus away from the story and towards what that moment, that moment of power where one person has a gun and the other person is powerless, what Mm -hmm. it means to all the people involved, to the two boys, the two 14-year-old boys in the poem, to the... Older, you know, to the speaker as an older adult, I really just wanted to to get that right at the heart of the poem, and I didn't want, I didn't, and I, you always start out feeling that this will make no sense unless I explain exactly what's going on,
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: think it's always in as we all, I mean, goodness knows this is a, um, you know, um, like 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 many people of my age and gender, I'm fond of explaining things, and part of that is rooted in an anxiety that if I don't explain everything, nothing will be understood. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, and, and poetry is one of the few areas where I actually get to edit out all my explanations and hopefully um, um, leave myself with what's said. But I really wanted that silence at the heart of the poem, and that was what was behind the choice to make, I, can't, I think, the line in the middle of the poem, because I think it is, although it's the, it's the third line, third of four lines in, this, in the middle stanza, but actually I yeah. think if you do a word count, it's pretty much bang in the middle. Yeah, um, and I made that the title, um, and that's because I really wanted this focus on this this stillness and this moment of decision and this moment where things can go either way. And I, I that just felt like a very important thing. And I think I I'm not sure I understood why it felt important when I when when I, when I found it, um, but um, yeah, so so I edited around that moment and its significance.
0: I mean, that's such a, an important principle in editing. A poem particularly is well, what what is the one thing that i really want this poem to do and for you it became more and more obvious it was focusing on the stillness of his moment of that moment and it, i guess that's the ultimate existential point isn't it where there's two people facing each other and one of them's going to decide if the other one can continue to exist i mean it's it's hard to imagine anything more compelling than that and Obviously, as you said, this is a lie and the whole poem is is kind of spun around the lie. But of course, we know that people have experienced this moment over and over far too many times. And it's it's sadly still happening as, as we speak. And that question about explaining, you know, did, did you do the thing of saying, how much can I take out? And it will still make sense. And then do I have to start putting things in if back in again, if it's if it starts to fall apart,
1: yeah. Sometimes you take something out and you have to put something else in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you take something out and it enables you to take another thing out. Because if the poem ends on Monday and you don't, and you take out the bit about Wednesday, you can also take out the bit about Tuesday. Um, right. <laughs> and that's a, that's a crude chronological point, but that also uh-huh. applies in lots of other ways as uh, as well. Qu- sometimes when you lose something, it actually creates an, an opportunity to lose something else. And I think some poems are, I, I, I you know. They're kind of bimodal. I don't know if that's that's that that's the wrong term. You know, some poems don't have one center. You know, some poems are about mm-hmm. the kind of jangle that 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 that's created by the fact that we're posting so many things at once. Yeah. Um, I think a poem which has stillness at its heart, whatever that stillness, whether it's a stillness of peace or a stillness of terror, in this case, I think it has to be about one thing because um, if you the more things you introduce, the the more notes you introduce into it, the less the less stillness there is, yeah. and, and and you lose that.
0: And then you've got this extraordinary ending, the war in his head, inside the war in mine, a little nest of wars. So, you know, the way I'm reading that is, it, I remember thinking when I first read it, you know, it's not the war in my head opposite the one in his. So if if you've got two people facing each other, you could say that the the wars are opposite each other because their heads are, are facing. But it's actually you remembering the war in his head and so therefore it's inside of yours it's like a little russian doll yeah set of memories and you've got this little nest of wars which is just i don't know to me that that it's so concentrated and it's so crushing you know the idea of of us being inside these you know wars inside wars inside wars it's a it's quite a horrific image at the same time it's it's really, really clever, the way you've done it. I mean, how how did you get to that ending?
1: I was struggling, because I, I I can't even remember the ending that I deleted, but I had an ending and I didn't like it. Right. Um, and even by the time I first submitted this poem um, in my manuscript to, to my publisher, Jane Kamein, at Nine Arches, um, I think it was 18 lines long at that point, so mm-hmm. 50% longer than it is now. And she marked it as one that didn't need to go you know that that I might consider dropping from the manuscript, mm-hmm. and I had a strong attachment to it by this point. I thought this poem is doing something that I want in the book, um, and that's yeah. partly to do with I don't want to be too, the scheme of the book and the themes of the book. It, it's quite central to it. This idea that these incidents in otherwise ordinary lives can really illuminate something about the way that the the mark that the history that we've lived through leaves on us can actually influence our lives it just seems so so germane to that and that's sort of the thing that the whole book is yeah. circling around and partly i just thought there was a really good poem in there i thought i wasn't prepared to lose it but i took the challenge and i uh, uh, and i went back to it um and i came up and i thought okay this is going to come down to three stanzas i can feel it you know i I I didn't know it was going to be three stanzas. I knew it was going to be sort of somewhere between somewhere somewhere around that number of lines, and I knew that line in the stillness of his moment deciding was going to be in the middle, and it was probably going to end up as the title. And I and I was looking, and I and I had to cut a lot off the end, and I was looking to get there as quickly as possible. And a technique that I use too much, I've got a real weakness for it, is an end rhyme at the end of a poem, which is otherwise not doesn't otherwise doesn't have a lot of use of rhyme in it, which is what, um, and I, Mm -hmm. I do it because I think a rhyme. Really gives you nowhere to go, you know. A really strong yeah. end rhyme doesn't actually give you any, you know, unless it's a comic piece, and you go, you, you know, you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, um, it, it it there's a finality to it, and I wanted the finality to it because I thought that's going to ring, that's going to make people stop, and then it's going to make people ask why I've stopped there, and and mm-hmm. I, I, and I had that, and and so I had that um, lived in that pause, and then and 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 then when I when I wrote. Um, the war in his head, inside the war in mine. I knew I had a few syllables left to play with, and I think, and and, and I, mm-hmm. I do remember sort of scratching my head as to what could go in there, not knowing that it was going to rhyme, but thinking, oh, that would be nice, um especially as there's a kind of half rhyme with mine there as well. So you kind of think another rhyme there, just really rounds it off. And then I, I, I think, I, I think I ended, up, I, I came up with wars first, and then the, the nesting idea just seemed, you know, um uh, that was very fortuitous. It was because, um, you know, I was just thinking about, you know. Um, I don't think I even realised that uh, about nesting dolls and nest in that sense. I think I just came up with a word mm-hmm. and it was a kind of left field word choice. And I thought, oh, oh no, that actually makes perfect sense. Sometimes you just get lucky.
0: So I love the fact that you took that feedback from Jane as a challenge. That really, she was indicating that it's it's not really coming across yeah. strongly enough to to keep it in the collection. And you decided, no, I'm going to I'm going to go into into bat for this poem and I'm going to I'm going to show what's there. I think
1: it's a bit of a cliche. I think a lot of editors will tell you this as well as poets. Um you know most editors are poets and Jane is a very fine poet. Um mm-hmm. I think people but people will often say that an editor or a critic or someone commenting in a you know a peer quitting in in a peer peer mentoring group or anything like that. Um mm-hmm. people are generally very good at telling you when things aren't working. And they're not so good at telling you what you need to do to change it. So, you know, I mean, one of the first bits of advice you'll get, as with all advice, it's even good advice, it's not universally true, is take people very seriously when they say something's not working. Don't necessarily take them so seriously when they say, what you need to do to fix it is X, Y, and Z. Um, Right, right, right. because Because what people are trying to do is they're trying to take something they haven't quite connected with and then turn it into something they can connect with. Which means it's not your yeah. poem anymore if 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 you do that, um, and so I don't think I can I don't think Jane made any particular specific suggestions on this piece because I think her her recommend her you know her recommendation was that it was that it shouldn't um, it shouldn't remain in the in the collection, but I knew that I knew I didn't want it in the collection if if she wasn't confident in. It. I wasn't gonna. I, I wasn't gonna say no. You know no, yeah. no, you've got that wrong. Um, and I could kind of see that it wasn't quite doing what it needed to do but the, the thing i know is that there's something that obviously a reader or an editor doesn't know is that i think there is something you kind of get a sense i think that there's something just out of reach that you're that, that isn't that far away and you can do it yeah. and no one is no one else knows which of your which of your unsuccessful poems are just a short distance away from being something that you would be really proud of, and which of them are just poems that you need to scrap because that's mm. a feeling you've got that there's something just just out of reach yeah. that you can actually get to, and, and and no one is going to be able
0: to spot that for you. You have to, you
1: just have to trust that feeling.
0: Well, absolutely, and I'm I'm glad you did, Tom, because as I said, you know this is a small poem with a, an awful lot in it, and it really does it repays a lot of repeated listening and rereading. So. I think this would be a a good time for us to hear it again, in the light of what you've just said. Thank you, Tom.
1: In the Stillness of His Moment Deciding by Tom Shastri. The new kid in the fourth year was S.A.S. He'd killed three IRA in a Belfast pub. Although untrue, this was his truth, who he felt he was. A man, tooled up, with me trapped in my moment of seeing him with the gun and him, in the stillness of his moment, deciding if I could go on living. The same question engulfed me. Last year, like a dropped sky. I brought him and his gun back into my thoughts, lived in that pause. The war in his head, inside the war in mine. A little nest of wars. <laughs>
0: In the stillness of his moment, Deciding, by Tom Shastri is from You Have No Normal Country to Return To, published by Nine Arches Press. This is Tom's second collection of poems, described as political, ironic, emotional, morbid, and funny in all the wrong places. It follows A Man's House Catches Fire published in 2019, which was highly commended in the Forward Prize and shortlisted for the Seamus Heaney First Collection Prize. And the pamphlet Complicity, 2016, which was a Poetry School Book of the Year and a Poetry Book Society pamphlet choice. Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like a full transcript of Every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links as well as a full episode archive at mouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves and Visual Identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem.